Welcome back, Hemming Brainiacs, to the Hemingway List podcast. The podcast where we do things in an orderly fashion. Today we're talking about book two, chapter 29. Um, what was my discussion prompt here? It actually worked. These two, I cannot roll my eyes hard enough. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're just, they're too much, these guys. They're just too much. What the heck's going on? Swim said the mama fish, she says, I roll my eyes every time Matilda exclaims dramatically, I am your wife, because we know from previous chapters she has consented to the Marquis drawing up the marriage contracts to what's-his-name. Laura Weistich says, I wasn't looking forward to a chapter called Ennui, but this was actually pretty hilarious. I don't actually know what Ennui means. The feeling of listlessness and dissatisfaction arising from a lack of occupation or excitement. Oh, well, well then, how apt. How apt. Because right now, I'm so sick of being at home. I work from home. I've got stuff to do. But still, cabin fever. And it's also making my work ethic just... I don't know if it's bad or good. I don't know how many hours of work I'm getting done per day. Not many. But today I had to actually teach, you know, which is my usual job. And I had to do it via... Uh, what's it called, like WebEx, video conference, you know, they're all the same, Zoom, Skype, whatever you use. We used one called WebEx, and um, I had to do the same lesson twice in a row, and went for an hour each time. So two hours of teaching via web conference, and I was exhausted after that. <laughs> like, that was it for me. I still got more work done in, you know, the rest of the day, but, like, I, if, I would have dreaded doing a third hour of that of of video teaching so i just think what has happened to me what has happened to my work ethic where two hours seems like a marathon 2020 has absolutely done a number on me anyway enough about how lazy i've apparently become mango mondo said lol this is just too much. These two should be admitted to an asylum. Yeah, not a bad idea. These two, absolute brainiacs. Hemming brainiacs. Alright, let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. This chapter is called, Chapter 30, A Box at the Opera Bouffe. As the blackest sky foretells the heaviest tempest. Don Juan, Canto 1, stanza 73. In the midst of these dramatic events, <coughs> excuse me, Julian was more startled than pleased. Matilda's insults proved to him how wise the Russian policy had been. Say little, do little. It's my only road to salvation. He lifted Matilda up without a word, set her back on the divan. Little by little, she was overcome by tears. To keep herself in countenance, she took Madame de Fervac's letter in her hands. Slowly, she unsealed them. She gave a definite nervous start when she recognised the Marechal's handwriting. She turned over the sheets without reading them. Most were six pages long. Tell me something at least, said Matilda, at last in pleading tones, but not daring to look at Julian. You know very well I am somewhat proud. It is the unhappy side of my position in life and, I admit, 
even of my character. Madame de Fervaques has stolen your heart away. She has made you all the sacrifices which that fatal passion led me to make. Sorry, has she made you all the sacrifices which that fatal passion led me to make? Julian's only response was a gloomy silence. By what right, thought he, can she ask me to commit an indiscretion unworthy of a gentleman? Matilda attempted to read the letters. The tears that filled her eyes made it impossible. She had been miserable for a whole month, but her proud spirit was still far from acknowledging its feelings. This explosion had happened only by chance. For an instant her pride had been overcome by passion and jealousy. There she was, seated on the divan, almost touching him. He gazed at her hair and her alabaster neck. For a second he forgot what he owed himself. He slid his arm round her waist and almost clasped her to his chest. Slowly she turned her head towards him. He was amazed at the depth of sadness in her eyes. Such sadness that he could hardly recall her usual expression. Julian felt the strength draining from him. So mortally hard was the self-discipline he must impose. Those eyes, he told himself, if I let myself be swept away by the pleasure of loving them, will almost immediately show nothing but the coldest disdain. Yet, at that very moment, in fainting tones and in phrases she had scarcely the strength to bring forth, she was repeatedly assuring him of all her remorse for actions to which she could only have been led by overweening pride. I too have some pride, said Julian in a barely articulate voice, and his face revealed the extreme of physical prostration. Matilda turned swiftly towards him, hearing the sound of his voice was a joy of which she had almost given up hope. At that moment she recalled her own haughtiness, only to curse it. She would, all, she would have loved to have discovered some precedented, unheard-of ways of showing him how much she adored him and detested herself. It is probably because of this pride, Julian went on, that you singled me out for a time. It is certainly because of my firm resolution, worthy of a man, that you respect me now. I may feel some love for the Marechal. Matilda was trembling. Her eyes took on a strange expression. She was about to hear her fate pronounced. Her reaction did not escape Julian. He felt his resolve fal falter. Ah, he said to himself, hearing the empty words issuing from his own mouth, as though they were a noise from elsewhere. If only I could cover these pale cheeks with kisses, and yet you know not of it. I may feel some love for the Marechal, he went on, his voice dwindling away as he spoke, but certainly I have no definite proof of her interest in me. Matilda gazed at him, he bore up under her look. He hoped, at least, this, that his face betrayed nothing. Passion swept into the innermost recesses of his heart. He had never adored her so much. He was almost as rapt as Matilda herself, if only she had been able just then to find sufficient courage to, and poise to exploit this. He would have fallen at her feet and forsworn all his hollow comedy. He had just enough strength to go on talking. Ah, Korosov, he cried within himself. Why aren't you here now? How I need a guide on how to behave. Meanwhile, his voice went on. In the absence of any other feeling, gratitude would be enough to attach me to the Marechal. She has shown me indulgence. She has consoled me when I've been scorned. And it's impossible to have unquestioning faith in certain appearances. 
no doubt extraordinarily flattering, but also perhaps not very long-lasting. Ah, great God, cried Matilda. Well, that... Well, what guarantee could you give me, interjected Julian, in a sharp, firm tone that seemed, for a moment, to abandon prudent diplomatic forms? What guarantee, what God, would tell me that the position you now seem to want to return to me will even exist a couple of days from now? The infiniteness of my passion and my misery, if you love me, no more, she replied, grasping his hands and turning towards him. The energetic movement she made just then disturbed her paraline somewhat, palerine somewhat. Julian glimpsed her lovely shoulders. Her slightly dishevelled hair brought back a delicious memory. He was on the edge of surrender. <clears throat> One unweary word, he said to himself, and I will once more begin a long succession of days filled with despair. Madame de Renal contrived to find reasons for acting as her heart dictated. This society girl allows her heart to feel only when she has reasoned herself into thinking it should. He saw this truth in a twinkling, and also in a twink twinkling regained his courage. He withdrew the hand hands that Matilda was pressing in hers, and with a great show of respect moved a little away from her. A man's resolution could not go any much further. Then he busied himself with gathering together all the letters from Madame de Favax scattered on the divan, and it was with a show of extreme courtesy, so cruel at that point, that he added, Mademoiselle de la Mole will deign to allow me to reflect on all these matters. He quickly walked away from her and left the library. She heard him closing the doors one after the other. The monster isn't even ruffled, said she to herself. But what I am saying, monster, he is wise, he is prudent, good. It is myself I should blame for mistakes than, than I can even imagine. This way of looking at things persisted. Matilda was almost happy that day, for she was completely in love. It was as though that soul had never felt a turmoil of pride and such pride. She trembled with horror when, in the salon that evening, a footman announced Madame de Favax to her. The man's voice seemed sinister. She could not abide the sight of the Marechal and quickly departed. Julian, who was not especially proud of his hard-won victory, was fearful that his looks might betray him and had not dined in the Hotel de la Mont. The further the moment of combat receded, the faster his love and happiness grew. He was already blaming himself. How could I resist her? He asked himself. What if she stops loving me? A split second can alter that haughty spirit, and it must be admitted that I have treated her abominably. He felt strongly that he should appear that night in Madame de Fervac's box at the Opera Booth. She had expressly invited him. Matilda could not fail, but know of his presence, or of his uncivil failure to attend. But at the start of the evening, despite the evident truth of this arrangement, he lacked the strength to plunge into society. By talking, he sh had spoiled half his happiness. Ten o'clock sounded. It was absolutely necessary for him to show himself. By good luck, he found the Marechal's box full of women. He was relegated to a position near the door and completely hidden by the ladies' hats. This position saved him from any absurdity. The divinely despairing accent of Caroline in the matrimonio segreto made him melt in tears madame de fervax saw these tears they made such a contrast to the masculine firmness of his usual expression that the soul of this society woman so long saturated by all the pride of parvenu and so 
corroded by it, was touched. The little that remained in her of a woman's heart led her to speak. She wanted the pleasure of hearing his voice in that situation. Have you seen the De La Mole ladies? She said to him. They're up in there, in the third tier. Immediately, Julian craned out over the theatre, leaning rather discourteously from the front of the box. He saw Matilda. Her eyes were brilliant with tears. Yet this isn't their day for the opera, thought Julian. What alacrity. Matilda had persuaded her mother to attend the opera booth, in spite of the unsuitable position of the box that one of their lady flatterers had eagerly offered. She wanted to see whether Julian was spending the evening with the Marechal. All right, there we go, another chapter down. Matilda getting jealous, getting protective. What's the word? Getting possessive is the word I'm trying to say. Of young Julian. Have your say over at the Hemingway list. Thanks very much for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.